Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Jamie Truman joins the podcast this week, and Jamie is the co-founder of Truman Charities. She is a mom to three amazing boys, and she is a podcaster. And in this conversation, we speak about building relationships, faith, and motherhood. And in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So hit the link in the show notes, scroll through all of their products, see which ones might work best for you and your health needs, and then at checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 195 of Something for Everybody with Jamie Truman. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. How are you? I am doing excellent. Uh, yeah, really good. Uh, and I want to ask you the same question, but I want to ask it like really, like hopefully you want to really answer it honestly and openly. Um, so yeah, how are you doing? Actually, how are you doing? <laughs> well, I guess I'm a stay-at-home mom with two little kids and running our charity organization. So, you know, pretty overwhelmed most of the time, but doing all right. Hmm. Yeah. Overwhelmed is a word that pops up a lot for me also. Yeah. But I don't know if I view it like in a, in a negative light. I think if I wasn't feeling like a little sense, not like this sense of overwhelm, I just want to like stay in bed all day, obviously, but like this little sense of overwhelm where it's sort of it's sort of a driver. Maybe it's sort of a, a chip on my shoulder. I don't know. Maybe I picked that up when I was an athlete as something I need to like drive me. I mean, I feel like I have a good sense of uh, intrinsic motivation, but I don't know. How do you feel with overwhelm? Well, I think it kind of depends. So for me, I'm doing something that I love. Like I love being a mom to my two little boys. It is overwhelming and it is a lot of work, but at the end of the day, like I, this is what I've always wanted. And do I love it? If I was doing something and also the organization that I run with my husband, um, I really enjoy the work that we do. And I love the podcast that I host and it may be overwhelming, but it's, it's a positive feeling. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I'm overwhelmed with a lot of work that I'm dreading to do. I think there is a difference in that. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I think I feel the same way. Because there's always a lot to be done. I mean, I'm, I'm not a mother, uh, so I don't know that feeling yet. But uh, <laughs> really, um, yeah. <clears throat> but maybe you know, I'll be a father someday potentially. Um, I'm getting married in exactly one year as we record this, so that's pretty cool. Congrats! Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm very very excited. My fiance is awesome, but she refuses to come on this podcast. Anyways, that's a, <laughs> that's a side, but uh. Yeah. So, yeah, if it was if it was overwhelming in a sense where like life just feels too hard or things are sort of uh, holding me down or I'm not doing something that I love like that is that's that's probably a lot harder and something that you need to figure out a little bit in terms of maybe making some pivots or some U-turns or some changes in your life to help alleviate some of that stress. So you can so you can sort of move in the direction that you want to go to. 
But I think you're right. Having that sense of overwhelm for having love for what you do is just part of, you know, the peaks and valleys of, of living. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Gives you purpose. Speaking of, of purpose, you, um, you're a co-founder of the Truman Charities, and I feel like one of the cornerstones of that would be, would be building great relationships. I mean, you guys have been doing your work for like, you know, 14 years, raised almost $2 million. You can't do that without having fantastic relationships. So how do you, how do you view building those relationships? How have you maintained them and sort of everything that has to do with that? You know, it's interesting because when I met my husband, he's the extrovert and I'm kind of the introvert. So my husband is one of those people where if you meet him, like he just attracts a large group of people wherever he goes. And he really thrives off of meeting new people and engaging with new people and new relationships. And I'm a little bit more timid and to and not as excited as like, say a networking event, for instance, like that is something that has always like stressed me out. But he thrives in those type of atmospheres. And this has kind of been our organization has been a good purpose for people to get together. And so I think people really like being able to have a a place where they can help the community. So for instance, a lot of my friends, like new friends that I met through, you know, my son's schools, they want to help, but they're not really sure how to. So we kind of give people the opportunity to help within the community and for people to get together and to learn about different people in the community and the different struggles that are happening within it. So I think being able to give people that opportunity to get engaged and involved within the community, you end up building these really strong relationships with people because you both all have the same kind of vision and, and drive of what you want to do. Do you do you find that the people that want to get involved have some sort of personal relationship with at least the organization that you might be helping or um, at least I found that there's always an undertone of like a personal story that drives someone. I mean, it is for my case and for your case, but do you have you found that with some of the people that you're creating these relationships with? Yes. So what I see is that people come to our events because of a specific charity that we are helping. And then they stay because of our, you know, our purpose and what our organization is all about. And again, our organization is 100% volunteer based. So everything that we do goes directly to the charity that we're helping. So I think what it is, is so for instance, if you, we had a nonprofit that you were connected to in some way that would drive you to want to come to one of our events, but then you just stay uh, because of the relationships in the community that you find within the organization. Hmm. How did, <clears throat> how did all this begin for you? Um, you know, for Truman Charities leading to deciding to create a hundred percent volunteer base, which is, uh, amazing. Um, you know, when did that start? So my husband, this started 14 years ago, my husband started it. So his grandfather, uh, so his father's father passed away when his dad was six years old from leukemia. So his family was always involved, very involved in LLS. And when one of his good friends was in remission um, from leukemia and decided to do like the night walk, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a really wonderful 
event that LLS uh, puts on every year in a bunch of different cities throughout the country. And so my husband thought, you know what, I'll try to raise money uh, for my friend and did like a very small party. Uh, you know, it was sort of like, you know, the solo cups and like a, and just like a bowl for checks, which is very long time ago because no one uses checks anymore. But it was just a very small party. And he raised probably like, I think it was like $8,000 that night. And he was like, you know, I really have something here. I can see that people want to help, but they just don't know how. So if you give them the opportunity to help, they will. So then he ran for man of the year. I uh, did very well, got second place uh, for LLS. And then started Truman Charities from there. And I met him probably a year or two after uh, the organization had already started. Hmm. And then you guys instantly fell in love and then you became the co-founder. <laughs> well, I had been already involved in uh, <laughs> different <laughs> in fundraising before that. So my father had passed away from AIDS when I complications of AIDS when I was very young, well, you know, 19, 20 years old. And so what I wanted to do after he passed was do something to, um, you know, do something in his honor, but plus like helping with the grieving process. So I decided to run a marathon. And at the time, I believe they don't have a charitable component to it anymore, but the Marine Corps Marathon in DC used to. And so that year they had, um, the charity that they were helping was the Whitman Walker Clinic, which is helps provide services for people in the D.C. area that are living with HIV and AIDS. So I, so I decided to raise money for them. And at the time, I was a broke college kid. I reached $1,400, which at that time to me was an insane amount of money. I was so excited. I was doing like, you know, car washes at gas stations and things like that. And after that, it kind of changed the trajectory of my life in general. So I got really into fitness. I started a fitness company. I started helping other people run for marathons for different um, and helping them with fundraising for different organizations that they wanted to raise money for. And it kind of snowballed from there. So I, I, when I met my husband and he's like, oh, you know, I started this organization. I was like, oh, well, I've been doing stuff like that too, you know, for the past, you know, eight, nine years. Mm. Ah, perfect. A perfect pairing yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to create a great life's purpose. That's awesome. Um, I, when I um, lost my sister about five years ago, I, I do, she, she um, ended her own life. So very mental health suicide related. So that's sort of the, the work that I'm in. I, I sort of dove right into mental health awareness, mental health advocacy, things like that. But as, as I got sort of farther along on my grieving journey, I, I learned that I was doing that in part because I didn't want to deal with my own feelings. And the only way I knew how to just like keep going was to sort of dive into other people or this subject. And then, you know, a couple of years later, when you start to realize that <clears throat> when you start to have, get a better grasp on your grieving journey, you're thinking about, okay, I, I still need to address my own feelings and some of these hard things that are coming up instead of suppressing them and moving them into the awareness or advocacy or, or anything like that. Now I have a better grasp on it, um, you know, five years in. Did anything like that happen for you or was it, uh, how did it go? Well, for me, that's why I really got so involved within running because at this point now, 
gosh, 20 years ago, right? When I was doing this, this was before, I think you just had those like little tiny shuffle players, but I was, I couldn't afford one of those. But at the time, I think it was just that. So I was running every day with no music, no noise, no anything. So for me, that was sort of a meditation therapeutic um, way for me to kind of grieve through like the process of grieving. So I felt in a different way, that's why I really wanted to help other people because I felt through the process of running this marathon, there was so much time to yourself and time for you to think and um, kind of reflect on what happened that I feel like by the time I had run it, I had done so much work that I just felt like a big sense of relief. And I felt um, that I had kind of conquered a, a lot of issues that I had previously had with the whole situation. Hmm. Yeah. Fitness is, uh, is such a magical thing. Um, it really is. <laughs> yeah. It changed my life for sure. When I was like 13, 14, you know, I started working out cause I was getting bullied and I just wanted to get jacked and, <laughs> right. you know, and it helped, Good helped with my confidence. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, I needed some sort of external motivation to get it going. And then, uh, you know, I became a professional wrestler, so I was like running around in my underwear for a long time. So I had to not look not good. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's motivating. So, yeah, I just very, feel, very, I, yeah. I feel like, and I don't know if it's like with you too, but to this day, I still work out. You know, like probably five, six days a week, and it helps me work through a lot of problems that I have, or if I'm like upset about something and I need like time to think it through. It really is kind of like a meditation session for me, um, uh, the working out. I don't know what it is and I don't know if you kind of have the same reaction to it, but it really helps my mental health in general so much. Oh yeah. hundred percent for me too. I mean, I, it's, I mean, workout stuff has changed over the years and, you know, now I just basically do it because I love it. Cause it's mm -hmm. been ingrained in my body since I was, you know, 13 to move. Also, it makes me feel good. I get more clarity of mind. You know, I'm able to think about stuff, podcast ideas, questions, um, you know, whatever issues, whatever comes up. And, uh, I mean, it's the number one thing, like it's proven scientifically by research and science that exercise is the number one thing you can do for your mental health. Because we always think that everything that happens in our brain has to be fixed by you know, thinking more inside the brain, but really you want to get outside of your brain into your body to help the things that are going on in your brain. So you have more clarity. You can think about things. Maybe you're writing them down. Maybe you have some ideas. You just can move your body. There's some adrenaline pumping, you know, things of that nature. But how has your uh, fitness journey changed over the years? Like, what do you do now for your fitness? Well, I, I, fell in love with running a little too much. So I probably shouldn't have helped so many people run marathons in my 20s. Uh, definitely started to feel that in my in my mid 30s. So now I just stick to every day I do 45 minutes of cardio in some capacity, either like a jog or um, incline walk and then uh, 30 to 45 minutes of weights, which is my favorite. And we have a we have a gym in our basement, so it's like my time. So that's what I love most about it. Like I go down there, I'm by myself. It's me time. I get to think through things, and I always feel so much better when I'm done. Yeah, it's really incredible. It's really mm -hmm. incredible. What has been uh, some of the biggest challenges you faced with running your organization over the last 14 years? So 
at first we were having it at um, at our house and we started to have a really good problem, which is that it became too large. And so we had to figure out how to take it to another venue, but still, because it's 100% volunteer based and Jerry and I cover the cost of all of the events, we had to make it still really fun and still cost effective. And it kind of had to run like a machine, like a business. So I think what one of the best things that we did was decide to get board members and strategically get these board members that were really good in different aspects of the organization that we aren't good at. My husband is the guy who knows everybody, super personable, great with getting items. But when it comes to the day-to-day things or the back end or the admin, like forget about that. That is not where he where he shines. So I, and then I'm, I do the podcasting, I do the social media. That's where I am. Um, and then his sister does the back end stuff, the admin stuff. She has a government contracting business. She's fantastic at that. We also have um, a woman, Julie. She has Sassy Agency, which is marketing. So she does all of our marketing materials. So just to be able to kind of, when you're doing something, to be able to know when to kind of step away and be like, I'm really good at this, but I'm not good at this. To be able to delegate to other people is so important. And since we did that, because it was becoming very overwhelming, but since we decided to get the board members and we've delegated um, items to everybody, it has really started to work out to be a lot more efficient. And because it's a lot more efficient, we've been able to see the amount raised just, you know, double at least. I believe I looked at one that was maybe like five years ago and we had raised 30 some thousand dollars um, for an organization. And our last event, we raised 117,000. So just by doing these small little changes that you don't think are going to make a big deal, make a huge difference um, within an organization. So we've made some great changes in, in that respect. Those are, those are hard conversations to have though, at least in my opinion, because you have to get honest about what you're good at and what you're not good at. And potentially, uh, at least with me, I have an issue because like my nonprofit is like, it's my baby, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, because it's about my sister and it just like, it's so damn personal. And I, I had a hard time letting other people do anything with it because what if they're not as motivated? What if the, the story doesn't resonate with them? Like, what if they fuck it up? like all of these things. And that's a huge fear. And so when you have, when things start to grow, which is great, you have to sort of release a little bit. Um, and so having at least a conversation with myself, like, dude, you can't do this all. And one, you're not good at it. <laughs> so like, right. you need to stop like trying to force it, like do the thing that you're good at, like share the story, have the conversations, like all of those things, but back end stuff and and trying to fundraise and, and create emails and talking to people, like all that stuff. Like what if other people want to help or what if they have the same mission? They just don't want to create their own organization. They want to be a part of it and drive their personal story with that. Like there's so many options. And so being able to have those conversations um, is extremely important. So uh, did you, how did you, how did you guys go about like getting honest with your, with your strengths and weaknesses and, or was there a conversation or was just like, this needs to be the path that we take to grow the organization? Well, what we started to notice that, so before 
when I first met my husband, I have a stepson who's 20. And at the time, I believe he was like seven years old. So, and my husband had exactly like 50-50 custody. So we had Zach half of the time. So half of the time, we were all about, you know, what Zach, family time, all of this. There was a lot of extra time that we had so we could have meetings and sit down and all this stuff. And then we got married and we had two, two children. And at this point, my husband's like, I decided to stay home. So I uh, sold my business and I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. So now my husband's time is so small and so minute that he's like, I don't, we either have to close this organization or we have to make it run more efficiently because I just don't have the time. Mm -hmm. So it ended up just being this where we came together and we're like, okay, we have to figure out a solution here because we can't like, Jerry, you can't do everything and I can't do the other stuff because I have a toddler and a newborn. So what are we going to do? And so it just kind of came to that. Now, I believe would we make it as as, as efficient as it has had been or has been if we didn't have our two little boys? Probably not because we wouldn't have needed to. So it had to be like we got to a situation where it was like we either do something or we can't do anything. Hmm. Yeah. It forced your hand a little bit to right. to op open up your time so you could so you could manage it a little bit better and handle all the different aspects of your life. Yeah, that's super interesting. Right. So I feel like you might feel the same. You're going to get married in a year, and if you decide to have children, you're going to notice that your time is so small. <laughs> the amount of time you have for things, it has to be very efficient. Like your time has to. You value your time a lot more when you have uh, when you end up when you have children. Yeah, that's what my couple of my buddies who I uh, played college baseball with are telling me now. A couple of them are having their second baby. A couple of them are having their first baby. And, you know, it's hard to because we try to we don't live anywhere near each other. So we try to get together, you know, once a year. And it just comes hard with scheduling and trying to find this and that or the parents of it or the grandparents available to babysit. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, it's what's the priority when you have a kid? Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> But I, I told them long enough in advance that they'll be able to make my wedding. So I gave them t at least 12 months to figure it out. I think that's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, was uh, was um, COVID, was that a challenging time for you guys? How did you guys have to adjust, adjust your business model? Because I know you do events in person. Um, right. Did that change at all? So that's interesting that you asked that because that's how the podcast started. So what mm. happened is, so I live right outside of DC. Uh, the area that I live in had a very extreme reaction to COVID. And so I wasn't exactly sure when we were ever going to be able to have an event again. So I, so I was like, okay, well now it's at a complete standstill. And there's two things that are going to be a are going to be upsetting if, if we're not able to uh, promote organizations. First, like, how am I going to market all of these great um, different nonprofits in the area that people should know about that don't, like a lot of people don't know unless we're, you know, getting out into the community and telling them about it. And then B, I thought it was, which when I started the podcast and I was interviewing these nonprofits, I was like, people, I don't think understand what's happening because of this. And that there's going to be an increase of so many different things that you should be aware about. And so you should be more inclined to be involved within the community because, A, you may be okay and you may be able to be at IT and work from home and your kids are fine. 
but a lot of people aren't and you need to know what they're going through and really need to be helping these people until this stops. And so thankfully, so I started the podcast because I was like, Jerry, those it's kind of like a twofold that people should know about, you know, the, the organization we already had, because we were usually like a year or two out on what organizations we're going to be helping. So I was like, you know, we should be doing that. And then B, people need to be knowing what's going on, the cause and effect. We're going to do this. This is the effect of it. And so you need to be helping people uh, that really need it right now. And so we started, I started it, gosh, I guess like a month after everything shut down. Thankfully, uh, we were able to have our, we were only not, we only did not have events for one year, thankfully. Mm. Um, I didn't do, I know that some organizations were doing like online events, but that's just not my thing. So uh, I just didn't find them fun or interesting at all. We did an all, we did two online raffles. So that was fun, but we didn't, you know, we raised I think like $25,000 for each raffle that we did, but we could not wait to have another event. Uh, so that happened the following July and then we we're back up and running. But by that point, the podcast was doing so well and we had such a positive response to it that we decided to keep it going. Yeah. Now you're a, uh, you're just a full blown podcaster. You yeah. Know? Didn't, you're, it was, you're, it Go was ahead. funny. It was funny because when I brought this up to my husband, you know, back in March of, I guess, 2020, and I, I, I told him about, I was like, you know, I really think we should do a podcast. And so I'm a stay at home mom, like I've mentioned. And so I listen to podcasts all the time. You have like little kids, like I'm doing laundry, kitchen, blah, blah, blah. I always have them on the background. And so I told my husband about this and I was like, I think this would be really good because the two reasons that I mentioned. And he was like, uh, sure. He's like, what is a podcast? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's a huge podcast listener i'm sure he is yeah, yeah that's awesome yeah he is he's like i'm a little too old like i think i missed the podcast i'm like no it's an app no on your podcasting phone. is still such a brand new medium <laughs> it's so it's so new it's so new yeah but i i mean I, I, we had such a positive reaction and my husband absolutely loves uh loves the idea now he was like you know do it sounds great uh but he didn't understand what kind of positive feedback that we would get from it which has been wonderful yeah now your your podcast is is crushing it what have you um what have you learned about yourself from doing a podcast because i know i mean this is episode 195 of this pod and i've learned quite a bit from doing that but what have you learned Wow, 195 good for you uh i think i'm at like 90 something but uh you know, you know, what I've really learned is that everyone, first off, like never complain. It's, it's, you know, it, it could always be so much worse. Just be so grateful for what you have. And we're all, and everyone has a story that you'll never know. You know, I, I've talked to people and I've known them for years and, and it wasn't until I interviewed them for a podcast to talk about the nonprofit that they had started um, that I really found out that they have such an interesting and some, you know, sometimes really tragic or traumatizing story behind it. And also that even people that I may disagree with, if you talk to them enough and you peel back the layers enough, you always find something in common with someone. So it's taught me a, a lot about, you know, just people in general like human behavior relationships how we're all kind of like connected in some sort of way you just have to be you just have to listen enough 
to someone to find the connection you guys have. Yeah. I mean, that's the golden nugget right there. Listen, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much, there's so much common humanity between all of us, you know, but the way we grow up, our lens on life, our perspective, the horrible thing that happened to us that we're trying to shove down so we can try and pretend to be this like person in life who can still, you know, do things and smile, but we haven't really talked about that with thing with anyone because we don't want to feel the shame and the guilt we feel from it, you know, and then you, you get on a podcast and someone's like kind enough to actually look at you and care about you and listen to you. And then you just like say it because you feel safe and comfortable talking about it, even though potentially thousands, millions of people might listen to this podcast. You don't feel that way when it's happening because someone's actually caring about you and your story by simply asking you a question like, how are you? Or how'd you get here? Why'd you start your nonprofit or anything like that? Right. right. And those questions can be really hard to ask, like in passing, because like I'll have like a, uh, say a brief conversation with someone like at a bar, like we're hanging out with some friends, mm -hmm. this new person walks in who knows someone else. And they're like, Oh, what do you do for work? I'm like, sometimes I don't want to say that I have a nonprofit or I have a podcast because like, why do you have those things? Well, I don't, if this is not going to be a real conversation where I can like express actually what it is, then I can't really tell you why I do it. I'm not going to say like in passing, like, Oh, my sister passed away. So I have this, that's just like, doesn't feel mm -hmm. like honoring that memory that I'm trying to do each and every day. And so getting on a podcast where you have, you know, at least 50 minutes, potentially more amounts of time to express yourself, it becomes this like brilliant medium to have amazing conversations with people who don't even live near you, but you just met on a platform or a social media or you saw their thing. You're like, wow, that person's awesome. I, I wish I could talk with them. And then you can. And then you're talking to your heroes and then you're learning to listen a little bit better. And then you're taking that into your partnerships and your real relationships and you're trying to teach your kids that it's like one little thing about podcasting can turn and well, at least it's changed my life for sure mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> a little tangent but that's good <laughs> um <clears throat> i want to ask you about <clears throat> uh being a mom it's an incredible thing i have the utmost respect for my mother. I think she's the greatest mom person that's ever existed. And she listens to every single one of my episodes. So I can't wait her, for her to hear that. Oh, and, she'll love you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And comment back and say, wow, Aaron, that was a great episode you had with Jamie. Because <laughs> minute oh, yeah. 30, you said I was awesome. But um, anyways, it's true. It's true. She she's uh, She's done absolutely the most she could ever do for me and continues to do for me. But I want to ask you specifically about uh, things can be a little bit more easier now for for kids um, if they have the means, if you know their family has the means. That's the, sort of the caveat. But how have you uh, tried to instill in your kids uh, hard work, uh, not having a sense of entitlement, um, having a sense of empathy for others. I know it, 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 it's in part due to the work you do, but you know, is there any specific things that you could talk about? Oh, that's so funny that you had mentioned that because I just did a podcast recap 
uh, on my son who uh, my so I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old and he runs a triathlon every year for just trying it that provides financial assistance for local families that their child is in treatment for pediatric cancer and so we have him do uh, two fundraisers a year so at five years old we told him okay well you are going to pick two organizations that you want to do per year and then you are going to have your own fundraising event that you are going to do and I am just kind of your helper I'm not going to do everything for you but there were so many different things about it that is so helpful for kids a they're understanding that they're helping somebody else b think about it they have to do the beginning we sit down we say okay so I'll go through the the first one that we did which was very like small we went on our listserv and it was like a hot chocolate and cookie stand and I said, okay, well, how much is we have to get how much stuff? And they have to write it down. And then we go to the store. They pick the items out. So they're really involved the day of. They're setting up. I'm not really doing anything. I'm just kind of stepping back and asking him questions like, what do you think we need now? What do we do then? He's making the signs that he puts out in the community. He's getting all of the money and then um, for the donations. And then afterwards, which was really great, he did a fundraising event, the first one, the hot chocolate and cookies one for an organization called kind that helps uh, kids on the farm program which is a free and reduced lunch program on the weekends so it was 120 dollars to help a kid for a year on the weekends so we went through and we were like okay and i think at that that one it was his first he raised like 500 and some dollars and i was like okay well walk through how many kids are you helping in the community eat on the weekends for a year how many did you help and he'll be like, oh, we helped five. And I was like, that's great. You have five kids that you helped. And he was like, well, and then what I did too, because you want to put like a little bit of a business aspect to it, which I think is really important. I was like, say this wasn't a charity, but say that you had started your own business, your own hot chocolate and your cookie business. I was like, we spent, and then I get the receipts. You spent this much money. You made this much money. Would it have been a profitable event or not a profitable event? A profitable event? And then if it wasn't, what could we have done to make it more profitable, but just as good? And so it's kind of like this great learning experience for your kids. You know, my um, my stepson was involved from Truman Charities from the very beginning, helps the setup, the breakdown, you know, helping check people in, still does, comes back from college. And I've seen what it's been able to do for him and what a like such a well-rounded young man he is. And so I think that that's really important. Um, you know, my kids go to a really lovely uh, Catholic school and so do my stepson. And you see a lot of these kids and they would come over and they're just a little bit bratty, a little bit entitled. And it would just really kind of frustrate me and be like, why are these parents not like teaching them hard work? And outside of these fundraising things for our kids, like, you know, they work like I, I find it very interesting that I that I have a lot of friends and that have children and they're like, gosh, my kid would never do that. They would never take out the trash. I'm like, he doesn't have a choice. Like, that's just what he does. Like, you want to live in the house. You have to be a participant in the household chores. Like, I don't run this house by myself. You do, too. So it's like my kids do chores because not to make money but to just be a part of the family. And then the last thing that we do, which in anybody can do this in however way that they like, we're Catholic and we go to church. And that's a wonderful time that me, my husband and my children 
there are no phones, there is silence, and we are together as a family. So I think it's a couple different things that you can do uh, for your children that can really like center them when they may be a lot around a lot of other kids that are a little bit, I would say, spoiled. <laughs> Have you thought about your kids and the usage of social media? Yes, I have. I was floored. And as I said, I had started uh, part of the reason that I started this podcast is I, I wanted to kind of see the effects of the lockdowns with the, the neighborhood. And one of the I had a really interesting interview um, with a woman who works with girls that have been trafficked. And the increase of trafficking when thing when all of the kids were on their computers all day because what was happening which I was unaware of is that you put as a as a parent you put on all these blocks on the computer right so they can't get into certain sites and all this stuff but then they were on for all day and you would have to kind of break down these they'd have to they kept coming up like these firewall things and they were like whatever and they just took everything off because the parents have to work like you have to and so um, so they had to be on the internet, basically, like, or, or use their computer all day. And the increase was astronomical. Um, I forget the numbers, but it was over like 97% through social media. And that was huge for me, just kind of like eye-opening of, of what people or, or what these people are doing to lure um, children. Um, through social media and they're very smart and they're very conniving of what they do and also like if you just talk and I've talked to other organizations a lot that have to do with mental health and just how detrimental social media is for for young adults it really is and especially little girls uh, you know, I was, we were pretty lucky. My stepson didn't, he didn't have a phone or social media until he was like a 16 or something like that. And, uh, but he also was a boy that was obsessed with sports and could have cared less about social media. Like we were like very lucky in that respect. But for me, I just see so many negative aspects of social media and I don't really see any positives for children to be on social media at all whatsoever. Yeah, it's a very, very complicated subject. Yeah. I, I coach um, youth baseball, and I started coaching them when they were 12. And an interesting thing happened when, it, uh, when they were 12. Is that about, I would say, there were maybe 13 kids on my team, and 11 of them had cell phones. The two that did not have cell phones were social pariahs on this team. Nobody talked to them. No one looked at them. Because after the game, everyone picks up their phone. We have a rule that I've instituted now that you have to wait until you get to your car so I don't have to see it. But, you know, I was a new coach then, so I didn't know that they would take their phone out immediately after the game ended. I just, like, that never came to my brain when I was playing baseball. I was like, can we play another game? Like, where are the orange slices? What's happening? Um, but they take out their phone. And then these two kids who don't have a phone don't get invited to anything like not to the food after the game. It's like very interesting. So it's like in one sense, the, the phone is like this sense of belonging. But if I'm a parent, I am okay with my kid being like left out a little bit for like when he's 12, 13, and 14 to not have the phone in his hand all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that just made me think about what I would do 
um, you know, when I'm a parent and my kid's 12, which could potentially be like, you know, 15 years from now, who knows where these devices and social media will be. Um, but it's, it's like what you said, it's like having stuff to do that's productive outside of what is on the screen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to be forced to do that. You have to be, you have to be forced to take out the trash and be an active participant in your household. It's like teaching someone they can be an active participant in their life. Like in sports, it's such a beautiful thing. You only get the things that you earn. A lot of kids think that if they show up to practice, they're entitled to play in the game. No, you have to earn the things that you get. If you're not the best player on the team or in that spot, or you don't work hard or you don't have good effort or respect, or you're not a good teammate, what's the point of playing you in the game? Now it's different if they're like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, right? 13, all of these kids should play. It's awesome. Go out, have fun. Great. But when it gets to like sort of an elite level, high school, beyond college, and then as you get into adult, you have to earn the things that you get. And that takes effort and diligence and persistence and commitment. And sometimes, like in life, you have to do things that you don't want to do because you know they're beneficial for you and they have um, positive repercussions over the long haul. And being able to teach young people that is extremely important. And then, you know, for young girls on social media, the body image stuff is just, it's it's so hard. Like, I know. I, I remember being a young person and, you know, I didn't love looking at myself in the mirror. So I started working out. But that, but the working out part, like, I wasn't working out for the right reasons at that point, but it did get me into the gym, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, being a professional wrestler, you look at yourself in underwear and I'm like, why is this here? Why is my arm not this? And, you know, all this stuff. And then, um, and then I can't imagine, you know, being 12, 13, 14 years old, young girls scrolling social media and seeing everything that's perfectly symmetrical and in the right place and nothing is wrong and there's no right. dimples or zits or anything. And like, then they look at themselves in the mirror like, well, why don't I look like that? Is there something wrong with me? No, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Absolutely nothing wrong with you. You are a, a perfect little beautiful girl who's going to blossom into whatever you blossom into. And mm -hmm. that could be what social media could be used for. And I know there are some accounts who do promote this sort of realness about the body and cellulite and the fat rolls and all of this stuff that we all have because it's cool and it's beautiful and it's whatever. Um, and I hope more young people can see that. But also I hope more young people can do things outside of their phone that help them create more of a sense of connection and belonging rather than like, snapchatting like half of their face to their friend like seven times a day which is like i don't understand what that is but <laughs> yeah i couldn't agree more i mean when i was, went to school i had you know i went to a public school with a very large class it was like 500 of us in our class and i don't even i think i maybe met two girls when they were like 12 or 13 that liked how they looked you know it's like mm -hmm. nobody it's an awkward stage so the last thing you want to do is get online to a bunch of fake photos that have been retouched and all this lighting and little girls don't understand that they think they just look like that when they don't, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just it's a false sense of reality. Yeah. And then I think we could promote fitness in a sense of not trying to look good, but making it just an investment in myself because I actively want to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I think once that happens, then you're like, oh, I feel better. I move better. Why not eat better and think better and sleep better and all of these things instead of I'm only getting into the gym because I want to be quote unquote skinny or whatever that means. Um, but I want to start working out because I want to actively take care of myself. And I think that's important for my overall health and well-being and mental health and 
trajectory of my life. So I think that also that narrative can be pushed and maybe it is, I'm, I'm not super into like what the fitness people are posting about, but, um, well, I so would, that's another, I would, that's another thought. I would say too, is being a mom of my two boys, I work out every day. I don't push it on them. I don't do anything, but I go out, I go downstairs every morning to work out. And so does their, their father. And it's just part of life. So they just assume that everybody does. So they love it. Like I'm the coach of my son's cross country team. And it's just a fun thing that we do together. Like he wants to be active because that's just a part of our family like life. That's just what we do. So it's not anything that needs to be pushed. He just naturally gravitates towards sports and towards running and towards fitness because that's what he sees. Yeah. I mean, that's, not that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's not pushed. It's just something visual that they see. Yeah, that's awesome. So good. That's like my, the number one thing that I think about as a coach is how do I embody the traits that I wish my boys to also embody? If I want Mm -hmm. them to be calm, cool, and collected when something goes wrong, then I have to do that as well. Mm -hmm. If I want them to train to be their best versions, I have to do that as well. Uh, And so, yeah, that's such a, it's oh, so good because kids just want to see the thing they they could potentially become. Oh, mom and dad get after it. They work out. They eat mm-hmm. well. You know, mm-hmm. they're nice to people. They uh, are helpful mm-hmm. in the community. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I want to do that too. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's not so much about the words that you say, but as you're saying, right? It's it's your actions, and that's such a powerful thing. So great, so great. Yeah. If I told my if I told my son he had to work out or he had to do this, he would never do it. So you don't tell them anything. You just do. And then they just follow what you do. They never follow what you say. So my husband loves base, was a huge baseball player when he was younger. And so I just had him come out and watch his dad's like softball games as like a little kid. And he just naturally gravitated towards wanting to do what daddy does because he just, you know, he loves his dad, but you don't, we never push any, you never push anything on him. You just kind of, they have him watch, watch and learn kind of. <laughs> Yeah, so good modeling that behavior. It's awesome. I um, I have a, one more question for you. Um, you mentioned um going to church with your family. Um, mm-hmm. what what does you know faith mean to sort of the the texture of your life and uh, how does it play out every day? So the interesting part about faith for me is that before I met my husband, I had no kind of religious background or anything, and it wasn't really a big part of my life at all. Uh, My husband grew up in a Catholic school and that's just, they went to church every Sunday and that's just sort of what was integrated into their lives. And when I, one of the many reasons that I fell in love with my husband is that I adore his family and I adore the way that his dad treats his mother and all of his siblings, like they're just wonderful people and they all are very, uh, very successful in their own right. And they're just nice human beings. And I would ask Jerry and he was like, it has a lot to do with me having to go to church. He's like, even if you're not listening, you don't even have to agree with what he's saying. Like, take what you want from it. But it really is this this time that is family time that is carved out every single week and that it teaches you that there's something bigger than yourself. So you can't be so self-centered when you are have a lot of when you're 
involved within the church and you're involved with that with your family because you're always learning that there's always something bigger than us, bigger than you. So you can't be so self-involved. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that. I'm, I'm uh, Jewish, but it's the, sa it's the same idea. Same. It's the same idea, right? It's like so important to have something to believe in when the chips are down. Like, mm -hmm. how do you know things are going to work out? Well, I don't specifically know. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know for sure because I'm not the man upstairs. Mm -hmm. But I know that if I do put in the right work, effort, and attention, that there is faith that things could get better. Mm -hmm. And having that sort of that anchor to lean on while also at the same time building a community of people who could be there for you when you need them the most. Um, that is sort of the powerful aspect of, you know, where religions really thrive. Mm -hmm. Like you have this sense of community, you have this sense of, of pride in what you're, you're thinking about. You, you think about things that are outside of yourself. You want to be a greater service to people, which is also happens to be the best thing you can do for your mental health, except for working out <laughs> and, uh, and creating a community. So when you do struggle, you have people to go to. There's a support system. You can ask for help mm -hmm. and you can also go and help people. Um, and then you have that sort of blind faith that things will work out because they do, they do work out. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes a lot of effort and attention and focus and support and all of these different things. But things tend to work out when you have that faith that they can and they will. That sense of belief is super important. And when uh, religious endeavors are really at their best, that's really what they're talking about, no matter what faith like you believe in. Right. Um, and so I think it's really important. At least it has been in, in, in my life. I think so. And I, I was able to see, you know, sort of, my family and not being very faith-based and uh, just looking at my husband's family and just what a great bond that they have and they share. And I, I just love everything about it. Just, you know, and like you said, it doesn't matter what faith it is, just, just something, right. Believe in something bigger than yourself and have some sort of community with, you know, your family and, and, uh, whatever yeah. yeah i mean if the, <laughs> yeah if the if the thing that you believe in universe faith god whatever it mm -hmm. is is driving you to become the best version of yourself in greatest service of the world then it's perfect right like that's it like whatever it is i believe in this 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 okay is it making you become the best version of you in greatest service of the world. So you can be a hero or a protector of two or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, philosophical phrase you want to use. But that's like, that's the cornerstone of it all. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, beautiful, then I, I align with you and, you know, we're maybe say different things to mean the same thing, but mm -hmm. I, I, I believe in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. <clears throat> all right. One, one final question to ask you. Okay. And. It's, uh, it's a question stolen from famous podcaster Tim Ferriss, so I cannot take credit for this question. Mm -hmm. um, but the question is, if you, Jamie, were going to put a billboard up and millions of people were going to see that billboard every single day, what would you put on it? Hmm. You know, yes, to put you on the spot. I know, right? Well, <laughs> I guess 
that it would break down to something that I'm really passionate about because I'm a, a mom of boys. And I'm actually writing a book on this right now, which should be out in the new year. But I think I would put on the billboard, without strong men, society crumbles. Man, that <laughs> that statement, one, brilliant, love it, and totally agree. I could ask you and talk about that for like 17 hours. I've been talking about masculinity a lot recently on some of the solo episodes that I do. So I uh, thank you for um, raising strong, capable, confident uh, young boys into men. It's a, it's a non-negotiable for the successfulness, successfulness, yeah, of our society. Like it's just like, it doesn't happen without uh, that. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I actually saw that episode yesterday and it's on my to like on my next to listen to your podcast. Oh, yeah. oh awesome. <laughs> well, if you if you listen, let me know what you think. Actually, I'd love feedback. Oh, no, I'll write a review. Don't you worry. I would oh, love. Sweet. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. I was excited to listen. Um, sweet. Well, thank you for um, thank you for joining me. Thanks for this conversation. And um, yeah, thank you. This has yeah. been great. Thanks for being you for being a mom. Oh yeah. my gosh, you're doing so many wonderful things. I absolutely loved looking over your nonprofit and hearing all the wonderful things about your sister and what you've been able to do uh, for the community. So you're doing great things. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Mutual respect. Love it. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Jamie Truman. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter through Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all the tiers, and see which one might work best for you. Thank you. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and each other, and I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.